Welcome to What's the Deal? It's our investment banking podcast on Making Sense, the hub for JP Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In each episode of What's the Deal, we'll be exploring the trends that drive deal making today and see what's really transforming industries the world over, from tech disruption to geopolitics and more. Hi, I'm Evan Junick. I'm a member of the corporate finance advisory team in JP Morgan's corporate and investment bank. And I'm here today with Jay Harain, head of energy, power, and renewables in the investment bank. Jay, great to have you with us today. We're going to touch on a number of topics that are top of mind for so many folks. The dynamics of commodity price environment today, the aspects of how companies both in the sector and outside the sector are adapting to this volatile and uncertain environment. And we'll touch on some of the companies within the industry as they think about growth and strategic optionality in their own business strategies. Let's start with a little bit about you, Jay. Maybe you can give us background of who you are, how you got into investment banking, how you ended up in energy, and we'll take it from there. Great. Well, nice to be with you, Evan, who's been a longtime friend of mine here at JP Morgan. I really got into the energy industry about 20 years ago, covering utilities, and independent power producers. Over time, there's been more and more renewables. And then I took on working with energy companies about 10 years ago. It's a fascinating industry to be part of. It's on the front page of the paper almost every day, as I'm sure we'll touch on as we go forward. Well, that teases up well for this discussion, because I think it's hard to ignore the fact that this, this industry is, in many ways, on the front page of the paper every day. Let's just start with commodity prices, right? We've got energy prices generally up about 75% year to date, down from up 100% earlier in the year, but still obviously elevated. Perhaps most notably for for many consumers, gas prices still hovering around $4.30, down from $5 early in the year, but still very elevated to where we were last year. How are you thinking about commodity prices in this kind of environment? How are our clients thinking about commodity prices in this environment? And how is JP Morgan thinking about commodity prices in this kind of environment? Well, I think our CEO, Jamie Dimon, has talked about that it's likely going to be more volatile on a go-forward basis, much as we've seen certainly exacerbated by geopolitical conflicts, but that it's going to be a volatile time and we should be prepared for the possibility of very high gas prices, gasoline prices, oil prices, and the like. Nobody wants to see that. It's very difficult on consumers both here and around the rest of the world. Our hope is that the volatility will dampen. The U.S. is producing more. Obviously, President Biden went over the Middle East and asked them to produce more. So the hope is that there'll be more production and that it'll be done in as economically and as green a way as possible. And at the same time, that we have a lot of innovation and capital going towards the green transition which is going on both in the U.S. and around the rest of the world. So our clients are trying to do everything they can to be responsible and thoughtful about how they produce energy and distribute energy. And affordability is going to be an important aspect of this. Let's dig into that a little bit more. I know you just hosted your annual Energy Power and Renewables Conference here in New York. What were the themes that came out of that gathering? I would love to hear what a different feel that conference had relative to recent ones you posted. It really did. First of all, we had over 40 renewables companies who presented. A lot of them are public. 
They are optimistic about the innovations that they're bringing to bear. Having said that, their stock prices are down, in many cases, materially down. Some of that has to do with the recognition that the transition is likely going to take longer than people had first thought and, frankly, people want. And therefore, their addressable market is a little smaller and the adoption is going to be a little slower than people had wanted. Secondly, there was a lot of focus on security and access of supply. You've seen that in Europe and the issues that are going on with pipelines coming out of of Russia, the gas going into Germany. I don't think anybody wants to see what's going on in Europe where coal plants are being put back on. Germany's thinking about keeping their nuclear options more available for a longer period of time, which doesn't have greenhouse gas emissions, but has other issues in people's minds. So the energy complex is complicated. I think what came out of it was this idea of balance, the green transition, affordability, security, access of supply, the opportunity for better education about the way that fossil fuels are used and how they can be mitigated. They're not just in gasoline that goes into your car or electricity through your home or office. It's also in cement and steel and plastics. Vaclav Schmiel has written a paper about how ammonia has brought crops and food to people and helped feed the world in, in a way that's quite dramatic and probably not as well understood as it might be. So some of this is education. And then lastly, the role of capital in innovation, both private markets, public markets, government programs, all of that to drive innovation, because there's certainly the possibility for step change. Yeah. And maybe I could pick up on some of those points you made around education and around capital providers. How do you see investors behaving and thinking about this sector in this environment? I would say if we had this conversation 12 months ago, we'd be talking about ESG, 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 right? How are you going to change your posture, your business plan, your investor presentation, everything about ESG? What's happened to the ESG investor? Are they still there? Have they disappeared? What's going on? Well, I think like most things, it's become more people involved, more people asking questions, more people trying to understand, in particular, the E aspect of ESG. Mm -hmm. I think most people would agree that reducing fossil fuels thoughtfully and smartly over time is a very good thing for any number of reasons, in addition to obviously what it means for the climate. Having said that, It was the oil, in particular, the oil and gas stocks went down materially during that period of time. Now they've gone through a period where they're up multiples, in some cases at their all-time highs. And for investors, on the one hand, it's easier not to invest when the stocks are going down. It's harder not to invest as the stocks are going up. People are also very focused on what these companies are doing, both private, public, and in partnership with the government to transition, to clean up what they're doing themselves. The U.S. over the last 20 years has reduced its emissions and energy intensity by 40%. Significant. The power and utility sector, most of our clients are going to be out of producing coal-fired electricity by 2030, some shortly thereafter, but most of them will be gone within the decade. There are no new coal plants being built in the United States. I think that east side of it is we all want it to get to zero, but can do an even better job on a go-forward basis of reducing those emissions. And like I said, E of the ESG conversation 
is front and center with our clients and it's front and center with JP Morgan as well. E is now part of every board meeting that we're part of. It's part of the dialogues, part of the board sessions, part of the C-suite of all of our clients. There's no question about that. How are your clients thinking about managing through this unique period of uncertainty we're going through? Obviously, we've been talking a lot about commodity prices in this conversation, but it's not just commodity prices, right? It's interest rates, it's inflation, it's labor, right? A lot of uncertainty has been introduced into this environment or is prevalent in this environment. How has that impacted the way your clients are thinking about making those strategic decisions? Well, I think that, first of all, they have to strike a balance between the near term, which can be quite volatile, and for them, the long term. Utilities are going to be around for a very long period of time, have very long planning horizons, and expect to serve and have a requirement to serve over a very long period of time. I think what people are trying to do is multi Fold. One, they're trying to clean up their own current operations, reduce or get rid of flaring on the oil and gas side, do everything they can to work on public policy to make buildings and homes more energy efficient, clean up their own delivery operations and the like. So doing that, I think, secondly, they're trying to bring innovation to their own plants. Sometimes that's through putting money into organizations and others who are cutting edge investors. Some of it is through doing that on their own. Some of that is through partnerships. We have a variety of our clients now who have partnerships, whether it's in EV charging or EV vehicles or hydrogen or or other innovations. They're making investments in even things, so-called moonshots like nuclear fusion. So I think that they are all widening their scope of what they're looking at to clean up their existing operations, work with their customers to green all of their operations and look for new ways to do business and deliver energy in a clean and sustainable way. At that point, we're trying to work with them in every way we can, both in terms of their intellectual and financial capital to help these companies grow and take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of them. We've touched on capital and how they're thinking about strategy. Let's talk about a theme that emerged in a number of different examples in recent months and quarters, and that's really around private capital and the prevalence of specifically infrastructure capital. Can you maybe explain that theme for those who aren't familiar and talk a little bit about how it's changed some of the opportunities and financing strategies for your clients? It's a great point to make. So infrastructure is a wide topic. It can go from things like freeways to airports to ports to toll roads. And then in our world, things like utilities that are going to be essentially low volatility will be here for a long period of time, typically have quite a bit of capital expenditure attached to them. And so in return for lower volatility and more certainty of returns, often monopoly or near monopoly in often quite heavily regulated, in return for that certainty, if you will, people are prepared to take lower returns. And we've seen a lot of money raised by standalone infrastructure funds, other pension plans and others who are interested in providing this private capital, if you will, to build out LNG capability, LNG plants, midstream pipelines, um, ports. LNG, or liquefied natural gas, 
is the ability to transport natural gas from one place to another, typically by ship. And the U.S. has become a large exporter of LNG to both Europe and to Asia with some shipments to the Caribbean. The U.S. has been able to do it in a low-cost, reliable delivery mechanism. J.P. Morgan has helped finance a number of these companies as they built out what are very large, very complicated, very expensive plants. This private money has been very helpful in helping these companies to build out. You see the government trying to come up with more private-public partnerships, and you see some of the public companies doing that. So it's a very large pocket of capital. To sort of compartmentalize this a little bit, if I'm a utility company today and I'm thinking about my portfolio of assets, it sounds like there is a potential buyer of a component of those assets, potentially a minority stake, let's say, at a value that may be priced at a cost of capital, i.e. valuation that is higher than maybe even public markets are willing to bear. Is that a fair summary? That in certain circumstances, it can be that way. Again, my colleague, Ian Connor, along with our team and the power and utility side, we feel is innovated around that to sort of separate out aspects of some of our clients' businesses that are most appropriate for infrastructure and lower return money to invest. It's been a very successful way for our clients to raise money. And to your good point, often in excess of the price where they would have issued equity. I think it's a very interesting additional tool in the tool chest for people to think about. And I think that whether it's inviting in partners as the journey continues and they need more capital to put to work, inviting in expertise as they go about that, I think our clients are being very creative right now about how they think about different pockets of capital to access and different uses of that capital, both in and out of rate base. Excellent. Can you talk a bit about how JP Morgan has taken steps to align our financing business with the Paris Agreement? How is that impacting your clients, particularly in the energy and power sectors? Big picture, JP Morgan has the Center for Carbon Transition, which is a big focus of ours. And we have worked through with the risk people, with Jamie Diamond, our CEO, and variety of the leadership to align ourselves with Paris, to align ourselves with some of the net zero goals over time. We are partners with our clients as we have a common goal, which is to decarbonize their existing operations and then help them transition to lower carbon intensity ways to deliver energy. We have aligned our lending and are working with clients on best practices on that front and then have increased our lending to clients who are on the green transition journey. And what are you seeing on the shareholder activism front? Do you see any themes and trends around both activists' participation in the sectors that you cover and also the kinds of themes that they're likely to be focused on on a go-forward basis? Some of the early activism In the oil and gas side was about, we want you to transition or we want you to be more thoughtful about delivering money back to shareholders and not just growing for growth's sake. And I think that literally everyone has taken that to heart. So I think that that has sort of happened and has kind of played itself out. The constructive things that the activists had in mind have been embraced by most of these companies. We've been 
fortunate to work with a variety of these companies as they've had to work their way through activism. Most of them have come out of it as improved companies with better access to capital and greater operations. So activism has certainly been prevalent, but it hasn't been as much of you need to sell the company. It's more sort of a call to action. And I think most of these companies in many respects were already on that journey and maybe it sped up the journey that they were already on. Excellent. So now I'm going to start throwing the curveballs at Jay. <laughs> so we've talked about sort of three core pillars of your industry coverage universe, right? Energy, power, renewables. I'm going to ask you to give me the crystal ball answer here. What's the one theme for each of those segments, energy, power, renewables, that's going to be the key theme for the next 12 to 18 months? I think on the energy side, it's going to be the ability to deliver energy at reasonable cost. They don't necessarily control the price of gas and the like, but the ability to thoughtfully repurpose the money that they do make and to continue to green their operations. And the power and utility side, it's going to be working very diligently to make sure the customer rates remain affordable while at the same time continuing to invest and improve their operations. And then on the renewable side, it's going to be access to capital and public policy to help facilitate that capital. And public, private, and other partnerships are going to be really critical to those companies. Excellent. Well, we'll have to do this again in a year and we'll revisit. I'll look forward to it. It's really been fun talking to you. And thanks again. Likewise, Jay. Always appreciate it. Always learn something new. Thanks so much. Thank you. If you're enjoying this conversation, you can subscribe to What's the Deal, as well as our other podcasts to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Follow JP Morgan's Making Sense on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. This material was prepared by the Investment Banking Group of JP Morgan Securities, LLC, and not the firm's research department. It is for informational purposes only and is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase, sale, or tender of any financial instrument.